Well, good morning. I hope you've got a Bible with you. If you have, you can open it to Mark chapter 10. We're going to go back to the passage we looked at last Sunday, Mark chapter 10. In case you were not here last Sunday, we looked at a story of a man who came to Jesus one day for help, and he actually left in worse shape than when he came to Jesus. It's the only story I know of like that in the New Testament where somebody came to Jesus looking for answers, somebody came to Jesus looking for help, and he actually left in worse shape. Here's the story of this man. It's in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And that's the question everybody keeps asking. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be forgiven? What must I do to go to heaven? And that's the question that every religion tries to answer, what you need to do. But we told you last week that really, from the standpoint of Christianity, you don't spell spell it D-O, you spell it D-O-N-E, right? Because everything that you need to do in order to be a Christian has already been done for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to put an amen. All right, there, thank you. Pick up the story. Uh, Jesus said, verse 18, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Uh, Jesus was not saying that he's not good there. Jesus was, I think, implying that he was indeed God. Do, and he perhaps even questioning, Do you recognize who I am? You're calling me good. Only God is good. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He didn't list all ten. He just, he just listed six of them so far. And, and the guy said, Teacher, he declared, All these I've kept since I was a boy. That is, all these I've kept since I was 13. Because that's when a Jewish boy was required to start keeping the Ten Commandments. That's when he became responsible for keeping the Ten Commandments. So he said, I've done these since I was a a young teenager. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing that you lack, he said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. I told you last Sunday, I'm not going to repeat the, the whole message, but you need to hear this one point, that this man was willing to be committed. This man had kept the commandments since he was a young boy. He was willing to be committed to God, but he was not willing to be surrendered to God. And the difference between commitment and surrender, I hope that you remember this, commitment obligates me to another person emotionally. I'm committed to my wife. I'm I'm committed to my family. It, It obligates you emotionally to another person. That's commitment. Surrender, though, is something far different. Surrender is when I give up control of something to someone else. When I surrender, I give up control of it. Now, this man was willing to be committed and keep the commandments, but he was not willing to be surrendered. By the way, do you know the one thing that God wants you to surrender to Him? The one thing that He wants you to surrender more than any other thing is your life. That's why Jesus told this rich young man to go sell everything that he had and come follow Him. Very powerful word in verse 21. One thing you like, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come 
and follow me. You see, Jesus wasn't looking for commitment. He was looking to see if this man would surrender everything in order to follow him. I read this week a a column by Tampa Bay Tribune columnist Derek Maul about his own journey of faith, his own journey to become a true Jesus follower in a post-Christian world. And he said, and I quote, he said, This life, speaking of the life of a Christian, this life is far too important not to embrace it with absolutely every ounce of enthusiasm we can muster. He said, Our walk with Christ is best experienced as an ongoing journey. We can't expect to have a meaningful life. Listen to this. This is so good. He said, we can't expect to have a meaningful life if we're living only as part-time Christians. Following Jesus is a full-time, day-to-day process. It's much more about the expedition rather than the final destination. He goes on to say, so no more part-time Christian. No more clocking in and clocking out of this life. Living in the kingdom must challenge our perspective, Maul says. What's stopping you from jumping in feet first and giving your all to follow Jesus? That's a great question. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from giving your all to follow Jesus? For some people, it might be a person. There's a relationship they don't want to give up. Some people, it might be a problem. There's, there's a situation they've got to get past, in their mind at least. They've got to get past this situation. They've got to get past this problem before they can really go feet first and be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. For some people, it's their possessions. They've got too many things to give up. And that was the story of this man. In fact, look at verse 22. Perhaps, uh, in verse 22, perhaps one of the saddest verses in the Bible At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now I want you to compare verse 22 to verse 17. Because the comparison is is astounding. Verse 17 talks about how he came to Jesus. Verse 22 talks about how he walked away from Jesus. In verse 17, he came to Jesus running. In verse 17, he ran to Jesus and fell at his feet because he believed Jesus was the man he was looking for. He was the one who had the answers. He was the one who could answer life's greatest question. He came to Jesus with excitement and anticipation, running and falling at his feet. But then in verse 22, this same man sadly turned and literally walked away. From that same Jesus. I imagine it got very, very quiet. As he turned and walked away, I I imagine the disciples probably looking at one another like, are you believing this? And he turned and he walked away and they stood there and they watched him just, just walk away from Jesus. And Jesus stood there and watched him just walk away. Because he had great wealth. Then he turned, the Bible says. Then Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples. And look what he said to them. In verse 23, it was a teachable moment. Verse 23, Jesus said, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus didn't say it was impossible for a rich man to go to heaven, but he did say that it was very, very difficult. In verse 24, the disciples, the Bible says, were amazed at his words. 
Now, the reason for their amazement was because the Jews in Jesus' day believed that prosperity was a sign that you were a good and a godly man. It was the belief that if a man was rich, it must be because God has honored him and God has blessed him. Wealth was in some ways proof of God's favor on your life. So when Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven, the disciples were looking at one another and their jaw dropped. And they they just didn't, they were trying to, what do you say to that? That was just so foreign to their concept. Seeing their astonishment, Jesus drove his point home even further with verse 24 and 25. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, driving, he hit that nail one more time. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. A camel was the largest animal in Israel, and probably even today it still is, the largest animal in Israel. The needle represented the smallest of openings. If you think about it, you can't even put your little finger through the eye of a needle, much less a camel. So Jesus was saying, here's the way it is. When a rich man's trying to get into the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's like a camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. Pick up the story in verse 26. The disciples even more amazed. Now they were amazed in verse 24, but now they're even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? I mean, you talk about messing up a man's theology. This was messing up their theology. They, they could not understand. Well, listen, if the rich can't make it to heaven and they've got the favor of God on them, that was their belief. If the rich can't make it to heaven with the favor of God on them, if, if, if it's the rich man going through the eye of a needle like a camel, who in the world's going to make it to heaven? Now, Peter's mind had been working through this whole process. And, and characteristic of Peter, his mouth started to engage. And Peter said something, just kind of, I believe, he, he kind of blurted it out more than likely. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with uh, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Let, let me stop there for a second before I get to what Peter said. Jesus, when, when the disciples said, who then can be saved? Jesus said, I want to tell you something. With man, this is impossible, but with God, anything is possible. And I like the word with there in the Greek New Testament. The word with is the Greek word para, and it means Alongside. He was basically saying this, watch your pastor. Here's what he was saying. If you get alongside man, it's impossible. But if you get alongside God, anything is possible. And then, that's when Peter's mind was processing all of this, and Peter blurted these words out. We've left everything to follow you. Now, we're about to get to the heart of the message, so I want to make sure you clue in right here. If you've checked out, check back in for a moment. In verse 28, I've read that verse over and over and over, and I cannot decide how Peter asked the question. What was the tone that he used? What words did he emphasize? Perhaps he asked it this way. We have left everything to follow you. Now that man didn't. That man that just walked away, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't leave his money. But we have left everything. 
to follow you. That might be how he asked it. Or he may have asked it this way. Or he may have stated it this way. We have left everything to follow you. You know, that guy, that guy wouldn't give up his money. He wouldn't even give up his money. But we've left everything to follow you. We gave up our fishing business. We gave up our families. We gave up our homes. We gave up our farms. We left everything to follow you. And I think perhaps that was the way in which he actually said it because of what Jesus later said to him. But before I get to that, let me tell you what Matthew says about this. Matthew, in his account of this story, adds something that, that uh, Mark did not include. In Matthew's account, Peter said, We have left everything to follow you. And then Matthew includes these words that Peter said, What then will there be for us? It's almost as if Peter's wanting to renegotiate the contract. You know, have you ever, if you're a football fan, NFL fan, do you ever get frustrated at these multi-millionaire football players who get their feelings hurt and they're, not, they're going to sit out a year because $23 million is not enough? They want to renegotiate. And when the company says, no, we've got a contract, well, I'll just sit out because I want $36 million. I'm thinking, really? You can't get by on $23 million? <laughs> really? It's almost as if Peter is doing this. It's, he starts thinking about everything that he has left. Everything that the disciples have left. We've left everything to follow you. So, what's in it for us? Now, all that may not seem very significant to you until you contrast his original commitment to Christ. You're in the book of Mark. Go to the, chap the first chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 1. And we're about to get to the heart of the message. So I want you to look very closely at Mark chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Well, let's start at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, which is Peter. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. I want you to notice the simple surrender here. There were no conditions, no hesitation, no fine print. But now, sometime later, that's not necessarily the case. Now, sometime later, Peter is concerned about houses and fields and closeness of family. Peter started out this way. It's all about Jesus and it's all about the kingdom. And I will leave anything and everything to follow him. It's about the kingdom. But now... Now Peter asks Jesus a very honest question. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? His mindset here uncovers a very troubling tendency that we all have in our commitment to Christ. Here it is. Here's the one point I want you to get today. The one point I'm building towards and the one point I want you to write down and take home with you and wrestle with. And here's that one point that's so essential. Unconditional, to, unconditional surrender to Christ tends to become conditional eventually. I'll say it again. Unconditional surrender to Christ tends to become conditional eventually. So, Pastor, what do you mean by that? 
I, I mean that we start out like Peter did. We start out with unconditional surrender. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the kingdom, whatever he wants. But, but as our lives get more complex, as we begin to accumulate more and accomplish more, we start to add little footnotes to our surrender. We start to add little conditions to what we had once told Jesus when we said anything goes. And we begin to add these little footnotes. You know, there was probably some time in your life when you opened yourself up to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, for many of you. And, and it, it, you said something like this. Maybe you even got down on your knees and you said, Lord, it doesn't matter where I go, doesn't matter what I have, doesn't matter what, where I live or what I drive, it doesn't matter. I surrender to you. You are the Lord of my life. I surrender everything. God, I am yours. I surrender to you everything. And that's the way you need to start out. That's the way you ought to start out. That's probably the way many of you started out. It was all about Jesus. But that can change. And too often it does. Too often we begin to develop the mindset of Peter where we're thinking, hmm, what's in it for me? Life becomes more complex. Uh, we, we, I'm not sure we want to risk some of the stuff we have obtained. We have grown very comfortable. And part-time Christianity seems a lot more palatable than full-time surrender. Part-time Christianity seems to be something that we can deal with. Suddenly you're giving the Lord a contract with certain requirements. Suddenly, uh, you may not verbalize it, but suddenly you're thinking about things like you, certain conditions where you want to, to be uh, uh, in your career and certain places you want to live and certain things you want to have and keeping that special someone in your life. And, and you're basically saying, yes, Lord, but... I'm going to tell you something. If you ever say Lord, you can't put but behind that. Jesus assured Peter that he would gain much more than he'd ever lose. Because Jesus could see in Peter's heart and see into his life and see that that unconditional surrender was starting to slide toward conditional surrender. So Jesus gives him a little lesson going back to Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Here's what he says to him. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and within persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now the obvious question, if you're going to be an honest student of the text, the obvious question that you have to ask and that I have to ask is this one. Did Jesus mean, literally, you're going to receive a hundredfold? If you'll just follow me, you're going to receive a hundredfold of what you have, whatever you give up. I don't know about you, but I think that'd be a pretty good deal. Right? It'd be an awful good deal. I don't think Jesus was speaking literally here, and the reason I say that was because when he was explaining it to Peter, he talked about a hundred times, and he, and he uses the word mothers. Now, if you have to leave your mother, you're going to get a hundred mothers in return. I don't think that's going to work very well, do you? 
And for some of you, if you leave your brother, you're going to get 100 brothers in return. It's like, no, I don't want that deal. I don't really want the one I got. I don't need 100 more like him. I think what Jesus was saying, he was speaking figuratively to say, I'm going to tell you something. Whatever you give up for God, he will abundantly bless you both in this life and then in the next. Whatever you have to surrender, he will abundantly bless you for doing so. And then he adds two words that kind of brings all of this into focus for us. I don't know if you even noticed the words as I was reading the text. I want you to look again in verse 29 and 30. Look for these two words. I'll point them out to you. i tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel. That's a good phrase, by the way, for me and the gospel. Will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. And then he describes homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. And with them, persecution. You see that word? And with them, persecution. The brutal honesty of Jesus here amazes me. The brutal honesty of Jesus is to say, I want to tell you something. Following me sometimes is costly. Following me sometimes is not easy. And I'm not going to try to pacify you just to get a crowd. Because I'm not trying to get a crowd. I'm trying to get some men that will change the world. So I want you to know the commitment I'm asking you to make. I want you to know the level of surrender I'm asking you to give to. The the surrender I'm looking for is a surrender that says, not only will I give you whatever I have, but I will give you my life if needed. And persecutions. You see, Jesus was not looking for part-time Christians. Remember, Jesus abandoned everything to rescue you. Folks, I'll just tell you, somebody better put an amen here. Jesus left a whole lot when He left heaven. He left a whole lot more than you'll ever leave. When He left heaven to come rescue us, He left a whole lot more than you'll ever leave. He says, now if you're going to be a follower of mine, I'm not looking for commitment. I'm looking for surrender. Unconditional surrender to Jesus tends to become conditional. Eventually. Maybe it's time that you and I get back to where it all began. Maybe it's time that you go back in that time, go back in time to that place where it all began for you. When you started out, like Peter started out. Unconditional surrender. No hesitation. No compromise. No fine print. Just absolute surrender. From time to time, I've gone to Johnson City, Tennessee to a little white church that sits up on a hill. And I've walked into the church and I've walked down the aisle and I've gone to the spot about right here in that church. And I've stood there and I've looked at that spot and I thought, that's where it all started. That's where I gave my heart to Christ. That spot right there. That's where it all started. Eleven years old, just surrendering everything that I was, everything that I had to Jesus Christ. Eleven years old, that's where I surrendered, right there. And then I've stood there and thought about how at the age of 17, almost 18, I went to that same exact spot. That's where it started and I surrendered to ministry. Same exact spot, same place at the altar. 
And I stood there and think, that's, that's where it all started. That's, that's where I surrendered to preach. And then later as a college student preparing for ministry, I went on a retreat one weekend. And I took this Bible. Now, some of you may have heard this story, but I think it bears repeating. When I surrendered to preach when I was 17, my dad bought me a Bible to preach from. He said, Keith, if you want to be a preacher, you need a good Bible. So he bought me the King James Schofield Reference Bible. And this is, that's the Bible that he gave me. I've had a new binding put on it since then. It was worn out. But I preached from this King James Schofield Bible for many, many years. It's got lots of markings and stuff all through it. And this, this is a very special Bible. In fact, this is on display in my office. I don't even use it anymore. I just keep it in the cabinet because it means a lot to me. But I remember as a, an 18-year-old college student on a freshman retreat, taking this Bible with me to the retreat, and, and the director of the retreat, uh, that conference, he said, now I want you to go outside and spend some time with God. And I went outside and got under a tree, and I had this Bible with me, and I was thinking about surrender. I was thinking about I wanted to make sure I gave God everything I was. I wanted to make sure that I told God my future is in His hands. I wasn't sure exactly how to do that. I opened up the Bible. And you can't see it from where you are, but you can see probably that this page is blank. But on the bottom, in my 18-year-old scrawly handwriting, I wrote these words. This is a contract to serve God all of my life. I'm signing it, and I'm going to let God fill in the details. And I signed it, Keith Shorter. And there's been some times when I've gotten this Bible out and I've looked at that front page. I had to be reminded again that it's about surrender, not commitment. I can uncommit. But when I surrender, I give up control. This is a contract to serve God all, and I underline the word, all of my life. I'm signing it, and I'm going to let God fill in the details. It may be time for you to write in your Bible. Because unconditional surrender tends to become conditional eventually. What we start out with great excitement and, and desire and anticipation tends to wane as we gather more and more stuff. As life becomes more and more complex. As our family grows and our responsibility grows. We become more of a part-time Christian than a full-time surrendered. It's good to stop the world for a little while and go back to where it all started. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, He said, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. I believe Jesus might be asking you to do that as well. Asking you to repent and go back to what you did at first. To repent because your commitment has become commitment rather than surrender. 
Repent because there's been some fine print you've put into the clause. There, there's been some conditions you've, you've included in the contract. And today he's saying, here's what I want. I don't want part of you. I want all of you. I don't want you part-time. I want you all the time. I don't want your commitment. I want your surrender. Repent and do the things you did at first. Because we all have the tendency, all of us do, to start out with unconditional surrender that becomes conditional over time. I want you to bow your heads and let's start praying about that. My question for you today is simply this. Has that unconditional surrender you started with become conditional? Has that unconditional surrender been encumbered by your position, your possessions, your convenience, your comfort? Maybe it's time to rekindle your first love. And remember, it's still all about Jesus. That's the way you started out. It was all about Jesus. It was all about the kingdom. It was whatever he wanted. And like Peter, you were willing to say, Lord, I'll leave and follow you. It's all about you. It's all about Jesus. But eventually, if we're not careful, that fades. I don't know what you need to do today. I don't know exactly what you need to do, except it may be that you just need to come and say, Lord Jesus, once again, I surrender. I give you control of everything. It's not that you need to get saved again. You just need to come back and take your hands off of it. Come back to Him and just take your hands off of it. I surrender to you everything. I'm making a contract to serve the Lord all the days of my life. I'm going to sign it now and let Him fill in the details. I surrender. Some of you perhaps need to come and surrender to Jesus for the first time. You've never made Him Lord of your life. You've never truly been saved. You've never truly surrendered to Him and experienced salvation. Uh, you've been religious and maybe you committed something, but you haven't really surrendered to Him. And today you can come and be saved and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to You. Be my Lord and my Savior. Cleanse me and come into my life and make me new. And in this invitation, I'm going to ask that nobody get up and leave. I'm going to ask you as soon as we stand, you be coming forward as God leads you. Father, in the name that is above every name, Help us to deal with what's in our heart and what you're saying to us. Help us to determine if we still have the surrender we had at first. Help us to determine if it's still unconditional. Or if we begin to think about what's in it for us. And God, help us to repent if needed.
and take our hands off of what you've blessed us with. And take our hands off of our own future and off of our own lives. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.